0: It's Thursday, April 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, the one and only Morgan Housel.
1: Happy Thursday. Hey, same to you. It's
0: nasty out there. Have you noticed that?
1: Yeah, it's not good.
0: I, I, I think I may have said this last week because, uh, you know, every once in a while we'll touch on the weather, and it's just uh, springtime in the DC area is gorgeous. Right.
1: But it lasts roughly four hours. <laughs> There's a four-hour window every year. And it looked
0: like we were done with winter, and and I just stepped outside a few minutes ago, and yeah. it's it is the, it is my least favorite weather, which is the cold rain. So it's nice that we're that we're here in a warm, dry studio. It's pretty gross. There's a lot of earnings news. We're not really going to touch on any of it. We are, however, going to touch on what appears to be the story of the day, which is that Darren Houston, who is the CEO of Priceline. Has resigned effective immediately. This is after an investigation found that he, and I'm just quoting directly here from the story, found that he had a personal relationship with an employee that violated the company's code of conduct. I, I, so, I guess my first thought is there's got to be more to this story. Like we're ju- they just broke this morning, and I like on the surface. Okay, he broke their code of conduct, but something more has got to come out about this because this is not, at least what has been reported so far. This is not a situation like we saw it. Um, was it Oracle a few years ago when yes. Mar- when Mark Hurd was was the CEO of Oracle and doing quite well, by the way? Uh, no, no, it was he was at C- HP. CEO of HP. He was at HP. He was doing well at HP. He had an improper relationship. With someone that also involved a misappropriation of funds, and for however well he did at HP, you could look at that and say, "Well, wait a minute, this is this is more than a relationship with an employee or a contractor or whoever." There's also money involved. He was shown the door. Yeah, at the, on the surface of it, this appears to be does not appear to
1: involve money. Yeah, we don't we don't know any any details about this yet. What they did make clear was that uh, the relationship. Does not impact the company's financials or business or operations in any way. Uh, So, I think if it were similar to the Mark Hurd situation, that would have been reported and revealed already. And you and I were talking about this morning, with the caveat that we don't know any details, I don't know what their internal policies are for these kind of things. But when you take a well-liked CEO who's doing a good job, and that CEO has a personal issue, Is it in shareholders' best interest to show them the door? That's kind of a moral question, and a lot of listeners will take different sides of that. But I kind of look at this as like, do shareholders win in this situation? Did did the CEO do anything that negatively impacts shareholders? You can say, look, if he violated the board's trust, that's one thing. I just wonder in these situations, if you polled shareholders and you said, here's what happened. The CEO had an improper relationship with an employee. Should we let him go or not? I'm willing to bet the vast majority, a huge majority of shareholders would say, I don't care what he does in his off time. He's a good CEO.
0: Well, and we see that in presidential politics from time to time where, you know, uh, a president will have an extramarital affair and, uh, you know, uh, usually the majority of voters in America will just say, yeah,
1: I don't, I don't, that's, I don't really care about that. I right. care about
0: the job that the president is doing.
1: I mean, I guess this is a different situation because if he violated uh, a company policy, or maybe if he lied to the board—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm making that up. There's no evidence that he did. But let's, you know, then then there's a breach of trust. But I think it's interesting to ask if a CEO of a company that you own shares in had an affair with a non-employee. So that's also a. a, a Breach of ethics—a show that you know he may not be as honest as you thought. Of. If if a CEO had an affair with someone who was not an employee, would you want that CEO to be fired? I suspect the answer for the huge majority of shareholders would be would be no. See, I'm torn on this one because
0: on the surface it it appears that. Um, here's someone with a good track record. He took over CEO of Priceline in November of 2013. certainly from the standpoint of the stock and I'm not a shareholder of Priceline but stock up about 30% while this guy's been in the corner office so mm-hmm. uh, oversaw the acquisition of Open Table and trip. you know this this is someone with a good track record as CEO. On the other hand, I, I, we talk from time to time about, Boards of directors and how there are a lot of boards out there that are either asleep at the switch or are very you know, have a conflict of interest in terms of their relationship to the relationship to the CEO. And in this case, I think if you're a priceline shareholder, if you're looking for if you're looking to find the good in this, because you may in fact be looking at this story saying, Well, wait a minute. I don't really care about an improper relationship with an employee that's not a direct report. Yeah. But I think you you probably should feel good about the fact that this, appe- if nothing else, this appears to be right now a v- an independent board. Yeah. A board that that launched this investigation, presumably had merit to do so. I don't or, know, but, know. But, but th- don't you think there's going to be a long read story coming out in a month about this? Probably. That, that's it, either going to sh- that's either going to reveal. More than we know right now about, and then we'll go, well, gosh, yeah, they really should have shown this guy the door. Or, potentially, uh, it was a witch hunt, that that there was someone on the board who just had it out for this guy.
1: Or, I think, another possibility. Or both. And I have to qualify this again with, I have no idea what the details of the story are, other than just the brief headline that came out. This Should we morning.
0: just? We'll just entitle this episode "Rampant Speculation." Yeah, that's, that's
1: basically what it is. Reckless and rampant. But I, speculation. I could also see a situation where the board says, "We really like the CEO. He's doing a great job," and yes, he has this personal failing on the side, but we have we have to do this just to cover our own butts because the view of boards today. Is that they are? It's a cush job where you don't have a lot of responsibility, and it's just kind of like this formal role. This, you know, it's just kind of like this. uh, You know, they're they're not really doing much. They're not really engaged in the company, and to shed that vision, the board just feels like they need to do something to show that they are not asleep at the switch, but they still like the CEO and trust the CEO. I, I. I, I could see that situation playing out in some of these stories. I, I'm torn on the issue, though. And I know a lot of listeners will have different views on this stuff. Uh, but it's an important issue because it's happening. We talked about Mark Hurd. This this happens. The Mark Hurd situation is interesting, too, as we were talking about this morning. He was almost immediately hired by Oracle. By Oracle. That's their competitor what, yeah, that was who is confusion. now crushing HP. So it's like, who won in that situation? Like, did shareholders win in that situation? No.
0: HP shareholders certainly did not right. win in that situation. Um, by the way, speaking of boards, did you, I don't know if you saw this? And uh, Uber, which is a private company, and and, and based on recent comments from uh, the CEO, is looking to stay a private company for mm-hmm. as as long as possible. Which is all things being equal, a smart move on their part. Yeah. Just named Ariana Huffington to the board of directors. Yeah. Which which got a lot of attention and fanfare on Wall Street, and I and and I thought, well. Ariana Huffington, uh, accomplished businesswoman, yeah. uh, very smart. Um, but I couldn't help but think, among other things, okay, but she heads up a media organization. Yeah. And I, it's a private company. That's fine. But I think now, to the extent that I'm reading articles on the Huffington Post about Uber, I'm going to have that in the back of my head that, uh, yeah, the person running Huffington Post is. Uh,
1: uh, it sits on that board. I, I do think it is possible for media organizations to truly be independent, and I think our our self serving example here is John Mackey, CEO of Whole Foods, is yes. on the board of directors of the Motley Fool. It is. I, it, is it, it might be hard for people to believe this, but it is one hundred percent okay at the Motley Fool to write a negative article about Whole Foods, and that happens. You could go. Yes. You could go find that. No one at the Motley Fool, and I truly mean this, feels any need to. Uh, you know, butter up Whole Foods because he's on our board of directors. So I, I do think it's possible for media to be, uh, you know, open and honest, even when they have.
0: And and the same goes for Alphabet because the most recent um, addition to our board of directors here at the Motley Fool is Suzanne, Su- Fry. Suzanne Fry, who's an executive at Google. Uh, same thing there. What have you been writing about lately?
1: Uh, you know, same stuff: behavioral finance,
0: history. What were you saying the other day? We we were talking the other day. You were saying, are are you like digging into the Civil War or something like that?
1: You were looking into the Battle of Antietam. Well, you asked me yesterday what you want to talk about on today's show, and I just said the Civil War. I don't. Know, I couldn't think of anything else. to Oh, talk okay. About. But that got into a conversation about presidents that you and I were having. Yes. And I have I have a I have a question for you. Okay. Chris, because we were talking about presidents, and now, and of course, we at the Molly Fool. Is it a presidential about, is, election here? It might be. I heard something about it. I I don't have any details on that yet, though. I went back and looked at the average stock market performance, adjusted for inflation, for every president going back to Teddy Roosevelt. Who do you think sits atop that list? Okay. um, During which which president has the stock market performed the best? And these are average annual returns, so it doesn't matter how long the president was in office.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm going to go, gosh, I'm going to guess that Bill Clinton and Dwight Eisenhower are. I'm going to say one of those two is at the top of this list, and I'm basing that on certainly the performance of the stock market in the 90s, um, the bulk of which uh, Bill Clinton was the president for. And uh, I was recently flipping through one of my favorite books of all time, uh, a book entitled "The 50s" -hmm. by David Halberstam, and just sort of the 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 post. World War II boom that Dwight Eisenhower oversaw. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet on those two horses.
1: I'm gonna read you the top five. Okay. Okay. Ready? Coolidge, number one. Silent Cal. <laughs> Silent Cal. Okay. Gerald Ford, number two. Gerald Ford was president. Wow. Amazing. Really? The yeah. stock. He was only president. He wasn't for president for that long. Like market, two years. And market did pretty well during that time. <sighs> I didn't even consider Ford. Number three. Your
0: favorite, Warren G. Harding. <laughs> Also someone president for about an hour and a half.
1: Number four Bill Clinton. okay. Number five Dwight Eisenhower. All right. Let me tell you number I was gonna tell you number five or I was, I was gonna tell you top five. I gotta tell you number six so. it's Barack Obama.
0: even even with the. Uh, I mean, he took office January 2009, and stock market just continued to fall. Early, well, it early. fell for
1: about six weeks, and then it's gone s- virtually straight up since okay, then. Yeah. Uh, but interesting, when I, during Eisenhower's presidency, the average annual stock market return, adjusted for inflation, was 13.9 percent per year. Under Obama, it's been 13.5 percent per year. Wow. Yeah. Silent um, Cal, 29.1 percent a year. Now, 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 I got to ask you: Who do you think are the bottom three on the list? Presidents for whom the stock market did the worst under?
0: Whew. Um, I'm going to say uh, Richard Nixon is in that group. I'm going to say that I'm going to put FDR in that group, even though FDR was president for what 14 years, but uh, the the Great Depression and Herbert Hoover. I'm going to go Hoover. Hoover's at the bottom.
1: Very bottom is Herbert Hoover. Okay. Above, above that, Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. Above that, George W. Bush. Those are the bottom three. Wow, W had a.
0: Weren't there any years that W? Was, well, see the,
1: the with W, he came in pretty much at the end of the dot com. the bo- peak, yeah. So he came in when prices were high, and he left pretty much smack at the bottom of the Great Recession. So, rough timing. Same with Hoover. Not very good timing. By
0: the way, that's a. I think that's a decent bar bet that you just gave people because because I, I'm guessing that anyone who would who would bet on that, their their mind would go in part, the way mine did, which was, well, who, who had a long run? Who had a long run? And and two of the top three are people who were, who were in the Oval Office for just a couple of years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Should we get into the current race, or should we wait? Let's wait. We should wait, but I would say this. Whenever there's a presidential election, you always have tons of stock market commentary that says, If this person wins, you should do this with your investments. And if this person wins, here are the stocks that are going to perform poorly. It is almost always, with very few exceptions in hindsight, terrible advice. It's so easy to create a narrative that says, if so-and-so wins the election, here's what's going to happen to the economy, here's what's going to happen to these industries. The narrative is easy, and it's oftentimes seems rational and makes sense, and almost always, in hindsight, it's wrong. I'll give you a couple examples. In 2008, there were a lot of narratives that said if Barack Obama becomes president, he's going to regulate the financial industry, uh, so stay away from banks. He's going to be big on green energy, so go buy solar. And that made a lot of sense. Like that—that that was rational analysis. It seems apolitical. It's just like this is what's happening, you know. And it's true. There was a lot of bank regulation over the last eight, year, eight years. There's a big move into green energy, but during the last eight years, bank stocks have done incredibly well coming out of the financial crisis and solar companies have just fallen to the floor. So, like the exact opposite of what what the narrative was was the truth. The other one was, in in 2000, a lot of people said, if George Bush wins the election, uh, there's going to be a tax cut which is going to boost consumer spending, and therefore, you should buy airline stocks, because more consumer spending, people are going to travel more, buy airline stocks. Makes a lot of sense. And within five years of George Bush becoming president, almost all the major airlines were bankrupt. And so so here again it's just so easy to draw a story and it's a terrible way to invest. And almost without exception, how you were investing last year should be how you're investing this year and next year. You really shouldn't let the election or politics skew your investing decisions.
0: It's just it's just one additional piece of noise to be on guard for. But it's a loud piece of noise. Well, that's the thing. I mean, there's there's always noise that investors have to deal with, but every 4 years this is one extra instrument in the orchestra of noise
1: and you see so many smart people because people have very strong beliefs about politics and you know what the next president's going to do people get really uh, you know really deep into it and they and but when they start letting it influence their in their investments i've seen smart investors good investors let it influence how they invest almost always to their detriment i feel like every 4 years i just want to come on the show to say this <laughs>
0: All right, we'll have you back in four years. That's great. Do you do you think we should just launch our own competitive podcast, like a podcast to compete with Hardcore History with Dan Carlin? I'd do it. <laughs> I'd do it. We, we'd be crushed. I mean, we have a list Car- of. For those who don't know, and we're not we're not in the habit of recommending other podcasts, but if you are interested in history, Hardcore History with Dan Carlin is one of the most popular podcasts for a reason. That yeah. is that is an inc- he is a very compelling storyteller. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, and I remember the first time I heard about it, our colleague Austin Smith was was telling me about, you know he's, he said, "Do you listen to hardcore history?" I said, "I've never even heard of it. And he described it and I just had this blank look on my face like, "Wait a minute, how is this popular? It, 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 you just described a single person talking for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. How is that? And he said, "You just got to listen." You got to and I, and I I had a, a long drive ahead of me one time, and I downloaded an episode. And holy cow, he's just—it's good, fantastic. It's quite good. You know what? I'm gonna. In rec-
1: fairness, though, you and I just listed presidents in sequential order of stock market returns. Take that, Dan Carlin. You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to recommend one other podcast because this is this is something that that you and I have both done. Um, uh, there is uh, a young man named Aaron Watson who has. Uh, a podcast. It's an interview podcast that he does. It's entitled Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I met Aaron in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest. I had just tweeted this out earlier this week. Um, and um, w- he came over to the podcast center. Um, we had a great conversation. He said, hey, uh, I have this podcast I do. I'd, I'd love to have you as a guest. And, um, and um, two of my guests in, uh, include Morgan Housel and Barry Ritholtz. And I thought, wow, you got Barry Redholtz? That's that's great. Um, so, um, but it's 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 one of those podcasts that, and 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 I'll do this from time to time. I will I'll find an interview podcast and I'll just look through, even if I don't know who the interviewer is. I'll just look through. Well, who is this person interviewed? And if there are people that I'm interested in, I'll go check. So. Um, you can check it out. Going Deep with Aaron Watson is the name of the podcast. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you'd find a podcast. Um, Morgan's interview is in there, Barry Ritholtz, Russ Roberts, who you and I have each interviewed. Yeah. So, um, a, a lot of good content. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and not have formal, formal recommendations for or against it. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Anne Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll
1: see you on Monday.